welcome to another edition of Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slogan. Joining me today, that would be innovator, disruptor, and patron, uh, the wonderful uh, Romani. Joining me uh, to talk with her about, a little bit about radical empathy, passion, and creativity. Thank you. Thank you. You're very welcome. How are you? I'm doing good. Topics. Yeah, triaging my life every thirty minutes. I feel like so. you, you you like have so many meetings. Your life seems to be meetings. <laughs> like Yeah, yeah. I've all different types of meetings though. It's yeah. Like, it's fun. Fair, yeah, fair, fair. Um yeah, what has your day consisted of today? Meeting. <laughs> exact uh, right? Uh team meeting for my new job which is with Brio Industry. Shout out. under diversity, equity, and inclusion. But Brought some uh, Miller Light. I don't know what it is. Oh, <laughs> somebody asked. Oh, I fucking do. Okay. I, you, when you asked, you were because like, I mean, you know, we as we uh, as we had planned, I thought we'd be drinking hams, but you were like, oh, I have some Miller Light. I'm like, yeah. shit, bet I drank Miller Light all through college. Try it. <laughs> no. What's our water? So I'm just kidding. Water's boring. No, I'm kidding. Water's actually fantastic. I love water. Drink more water. Honestly, if you're ever having anxiety, or if you're hungry, if you're hangry, or if you are just not feeling too hot, drink some water. It, all, it helps all of the above. Absolutely. Um, so, Tara, what we talked about. Nice guy. We talk love and fear, passion and creativity. Um, guess how we met? You know how we met. Um, I love I love when this happens. Uh, we met on Tinder. Shout out. Remember? Yeah, that was like a while ago. Yeah, because I suck at Tinder. Surprisingly, you asked me that. Uh, yeah. But here we landed. It's been a common thing, actually. You're like the fourth or fifth person I've met on Tinder. Well, I feel like we're moving the stigma of Tinder too, though, because like yeah, a lot of people use their hookups, but it's you can do anything with Tinder, so. I mean, I look for just interesting people. Like, I mean, I'm off it now because it was stressing me out. But, um, but yeah, no, like, I'm just, even if it ends up becoming, like, a friend thing or if it becomes, some, like, a hookup thing at first and then we become friends or we become something more serious. Like, Tinder is a, it's kind of like a, it's a mixed bag. My parents are from Iran. Uh and when I was younger, I got to grow up there in the summers a little bit, but like two months at a time. So that was nice for me, being exposed to both cultures. Um, and then I grew up, I'm from South Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, it's a nice little town, probably never going back. No offense, South Milwaukee. But uh, I went to South Milwaukee middle school and high school. Um, and I have to say that I didn't really know what path I wanted to go down until I turned 22, which is just over a year ago. Um, but all the events that happened in my life since the day I can remember uh, built up to where I am now. But it's like when I turned 22, I finally became more conscious, and I was able to kind of like connect the dots and understand um, why I did certain things or why I acted certain ways. and why they made me want to go to where I am. Um, 
And so the reason we're talking about radical empathy is because um, I like wear my heart on my sleeve. I um, really believe that empathy is at the core of everything and it's very important. Um, but I didn't really understand that um, until I started connecting the dots. So I grew up, um, I was always, I struggled with identity. So I, um, I am Iranian, 100%, but then I grew up in a very, very American culture and city, which is not bad, but it's like, you know, I'd be in my house, and it's a very Persian household, and as soon as I step out of the door, it's mainly white. Um, and so I never fit in with the white kids, but then there was, first of all, it's not a big like, Persian um, uh, community here, and so I didn't fit in there, and I was just kind of like, well, who am I, and what box am I supposed to be in? Which really, there's not... There's no box. Um, yeah. And so I think, um, so I was bullied for that when I was younger up until like the beginning of high school. I was bullied a lot. And it was one of those things where it's like, you're that friend that they they make fun of you, but they're still friends, but they're like, oh, you can take it. But like, really, yeah, it's like, it's not I funny. was totally that kid as well. And you're a kid, so yeah. you don't know better. And they right. don't talk about this in school. So you're And like, if you like kind of act out against it, like if you're like, guys, ostracized. yeah, then people like, oh, well, now we don't want to hang out with you anymore. Because they can't make fun of you. Yeah. Right. Which, I mean, like, you know... Crappy different joke. Yeah, that. like, there's merit to making fun of each other. Like, I mean, you know, like, my friends and I, we have make fun of mm-hmm. each other all the time. And, oh, but, for sure, there's teasing. Right, yeah, but there's a difference between teasing and actually, you, like, saying things that are, like, malicious or mm-hmm. things that you are not, like, mutually and consensually, like, mm-hmm. understood to be humor, you know? Yeah. So, I agree with that. Um... So it was very interesting growing up because I, I kind of grew up just like very unconscious and if I look back everything's like a blur because it's like I was just living somebody else's life. Like I was putting up with the bullying, I was checking all the boxes of like three sport athlete, doing well in school, getting involved, blah blah blah. But I really didn't give a shit about any of it looking back. I'm like, I was just being what I thought a popular teenager would be is like competitive in these sports and hanging out with the cool kids and whatever. Um, and then I got to college and I, I followed a similar path. And then I finally got involved in something that fucking mattered. Um, and so my first, the first thing I got involved with, well, I joined a sorority and I never said I was going to be in a sorority. Oh yeah. I'm wearing my um, letters right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that really helped me to just like, open up and make new friends in general. Um, and that kind of started the path of me joining other things and testing other things. Um, so then I joined the Society of Women Engineers and they are a community empowering um, women in STEAM, science, technology, engineering, art, and math, um, and doing hands-on like engineering workshops with grades K through 12, um, having like speaker series, like anything to show these, uh, these kids and these young people that they have the potential to do whatever they want. And, um, so I joined that group and then from there it just like spiraled into a lot of amazing opportunities that I could go on about. Uh, I don't know how to do it. Oh, we certainly will. Okay. I'll guide you along. Okay. Uh, well, so why do you want to become an engineer initially? Um, 
See, that's a whole other topic that I could probably talk for hours about is because um, I had no idea. You know, at, at 18, we we have this stigma of like, well, you're either going to go to college or, or hopefully they also say you can go to the trades. Um, but it's like those are the only two. And so now it's becoming a bit more prominent of like, okay, well, you don't have to go to college right away or at all to be successful. Right. Um, but for me, it was like, okay, I took some engineering classes in high school. My stepdad was an engineer. And then the Middle Eastern culture is really like, you're, you're either going to be a doctor or a lawyer, you know, or, or maybe an engineer. Something that makes a lot of money mm. is stable. Um, so I was like, okay, well, I don't really want to go to med school. And being a lawyer is like too much reading for me. Um, and so I was like, I'll be an engineer. So there's no really like, oh, I was super passionate about it. Like, I don't really give a fuck about engineering. I'm just in, yeah, I don't care, but um, I'm like three classes left in my oh, degree. Wow. So it's like, I got to finish it. <laughs> and it'll open doors for me and I have yeah. learned a lot. Totally. Um, but definitely it's just like, I wish that people talked about the other options besides just going to college right away. Oh yeah. And I think that's become a further and further uh, universal conversation. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Like the alternative routes to finding happiness and success and uh, meaning, you know, in life. And uh, like a lot of people our age are doing that. Like, mm -hmm. They're either not going to school at all or they're only going to school for, they go for like a little bit and then they drop out because it really just is not for them. Yeah. And I wish that there wasn't such a stigma on the word dropping out. Like you're, yeah. what, I don't know if we should say like, oh, they left college, whatever you want to call it. But like, I'm almost a hundred thousand dollars in, in debt oh, yeah. in student loans. Me and too. Like, I'm, yeah, we're probably that much. And it's just like. For, for a degree I didn't even like. Like, don't get me wrong, I got a lot out of my time, yeah. my entire experience at MSOE, but think of, like, in hindsight, it's 2020, uh, but think of, like, if I hadn't gone to college right away, I wouldn't have spent any money, and then I would have maybe tried some other things, tested out some stuff. Um, and so I still really am, like, happy with my experience and my mm -hmm. journey. But definitely, um, kids need to know that they have options. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Like, even speaking on behalf of my own degree, like, you know, I graduated in journalism, and I am, like, I do intend to continue, like, using my degree professionally. Mm -hmm. Like, I have been in sort of a DIY way. Mm -hmm. Um and I, like you, like I wouldn't take back my degree for anything. Like I value it and I value college a lot for how I grew personally, professionally, like really learned a lot about what I wanted to do and like what my strengths and weaknesses are and everything. But at the same time, there is a lot you can learn. Like, you know, you can, you can still be really good at something or, gain expertise or gain experience with things like, mm -hmm. you know, without having to go through like, you know, higher education. Like, yeah. I mean, higher education definitely like can give you like tools and resources to make it easier, but not always. Mm -hmm. Like you can still, Depends on what you're studying. right. You can yeah. still teach yourself like pretty much anything there mm -hmm. is, you know? And like academia um, is so like, I mean, just in the current socioeconomic model of the United States, like how there so much of academia is like very classist. 
and like how you know people don't see college as like even it's not even part of the conversation if they come from like low income backgrounds yeah. or it's, it's a huge privilege you know and the thing that shouldn't be a privilege yeah it education should, should be accessible to all a hundred percent universally accessible and like you know like the fact of the matter is like you know I yeah I went to college but I also come from a pretty poor family mm-hmm. and God knows how long I'm gonna be paying these fucking loans back, but like, um, but the, yeah, there's people that you know didn't even have like some of the privileges that I had, you know, like in the the education that I had growing up, like in my school system and in the resources that my, you know, like going to my like high school um, had. Like, if it weren't for the renowned broadcasting program my high school had, like, I, you know, like, I couldn't have fucking taken broadcasting, or at least I could, I wouldn't have found so much of a passion for it if I didn't have that privilege, you know? Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, education in general is like, you know, there's a lot of privilege that comes with it. and Oh, for sure. You know, yeah, and like, college is so idealized you know well i think it's because we live in a society where like if you people want to you gotta check the boxes and if you don't check the boxes because you're you're an entrepreneur because you have a wavy path or whatever it's like self-made yeah well it's like how am i supposed to classify you but it's like why do you always need to like classify people it's like well okay so the first question is like, oh, what'd you study? It's like, okay, well, if you didn't study, it's like you're already written off. It's like strike one. Then it's like, okay, well, what do you do? And, and then if you say you you have your own company or whatever, it's like, oh, maybe strike two. It just depends. It's like you either have an education or you have a lot of money or you have both. Mm-hmm. And then people are like, you make you can only make a lot of money if you have an education. Yeah, and yeah. it's just, it's just like, right. it's so close-minded. Totally. Like the world is too damn big. For us to say, you need to get an accredited education from this damn-ass university. We're like, whether or not... Like, I'm not bashing universities. Obviously, I went to... I go to university, and it's great. But, like, we're stuck in the 1950s with the way we teach. Like, if you're just going to read me a PowerPoint, then send me the PowerPoint. I'll read it from the comfort of my own home. I'm not going to show up just so you can talk at me. Yeah. And just so you can use materials... That when I Google it, it's like, okay, well, this was a book from the fucking 1980s, and it's 2020, bitch. Like, if I want to be successful and make money, and if I'm paying you 40K a year, you might as well tell me the shit that actually is, like, relevant. Right, exactly. Not just, you know, the dated textbooks that were written by the system. And that costs, like, $150 minimum. Right. Where everything that's updated is free on Google right now. Like, yeah, exactly. To be honest, I stopped buying books, like, my mm-hmm. junior year. Because, like, I, it was just costing a lot of money. It's not provided by the yeah. co- courses, usually. And, um, you know, like, you can find a PDF file of, like, your textbook mm-hmm. online most of the time. You know, yeah, like you said about how they either look... You, it's either you either have the education or you have a lot of money. For the yeah. people that don't have either of those, like where money, where you don't have a lot of money and college is so out of reach anyway, yes. they're screwed. And that's, and you know, that's such wasted success for people that might, might be underprivileged, you know, like, mm-hmm. like 
the I, I don't know if you saw what fucking Joe Biden just said today, but he said some shit about poor kids are just as bright as white kids. Fuck you, Joe Biden, for saying you that. You know, I think that the lecture format of, of like, uh, college education is very dated itself. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of us have very short attention spans. Like, well, just the human mind. There, There's so many studies about your attention span and the best way to learn, yet nobody follows them. Right. Like, I, for one, I could never fucking pay attention to in lecture. Like, I would just be on my phone the whole time. And, like, when it's not a personalized... Mm-hmm. Um, interaction between the professor slash lecturer and the students where it can become a discussion or it can become something that's where like a where the person lecturing is actually like engaging the students into the material and encouraging them to ask questions rather than yeah just like you know rambling for 50 minutes Mm -hmm. like you know I, I don't I'm personally I don't Nothing interests me about that at all. Like, I used to skip lecture all the time for that reason. Stuff like that is, like, what makes people just view it only as a... view the material just as a... for a grade anyway, you know? Well, going off of that is, um... doing the material for a grade, but that's because of the way we assess things. Like, standardized... aside from these lectures, standardized tests, um... Like, colleges make money based off of scores, and they use standardized tests because it's easier to track success based off of metrics so they can make more money. Mm-hmm. So college is a business, and businesses oh, want to make totally money. Right. And For co- profit. College is a business that, like, they care about their students, but to an extent. You know, I'm not going to say they don't give a shit about their students, but some there's a lot of individual there's individual professors who go above and beyond and who make oh, yeah. your experience great and there's totally. the professors that are just like they it, it's all short term memory so like really i just paid a hundred thousand dollars to go to school for about four and a half years to retain i don't even know how much information because the whole time i'm being pressured to learn this in a short amount of time and then prove it in a fucking test so that I can pass the class and you can get your money. So really, it's not like a win-win. Right. Because it was just, you know. Um, it makes you. It, it does. Yeah. Like it does make you kind of like, like, reflect on the motives behind, like some teachers in some ways. Where like I mean, mm-hmm. like I had some wonderful. Like you said, I had wonderful teachers that did go above and beyond. I had a select few that definitely, like, have resonated with me a ton. I'm sure you have, too. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to, like, some professors or some teachers that that don't, like, you know, make an active effort to, you know, personalize their relationships with the students and aren't accessible, aren't approachable, it's like you think about, like, yeah, like, do they actually care about their students doing well, you know? And then there's the whole, like, I want to have compassion for these professors, because as much as I'm like, oh, you're a dick and this sucks, at the same time, you're getting underpaid and you don't have enough time and you have... Back to you. Back on you. Because this is about you. (laughs) Um, So, um, so I know that, you know, you... Uh, you have been an innovation fellow for several different organizations and stuff. Um, when we 
we had talked previously. I know that you like had been getting involved and familiarized with some Milwaukee startups, and you have somewhat of a goal to have a startup about that that centers radical empathy. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that sure. that idea. Sure. Um, so to kind of preface this, as a part of um, my collegiate experience, I. Um, was able to join a program called University Innovation Fellows, and it's an international program. And it, it that was like one of the most pivotal moments of my life because this program, um, it it starts it, everything they do. Like they say, start with their two slogans are start with love and do epic shit. Mm, and so yeah, it's amazing because they said shit. They did. <laughs> They're, and they're based out of Stanford <laughs> University, yeah. so it's out of Stanford's design school, and it's about um, all majors, whether you're liberal arts, engineering, whatever you may be, um, coming together and collaborating to make the world a better place. Um, and you start with that by going back to your community and your campus and um, creating, being a change agent on your campus. Because um, as much as I want to go out and change the world, I gotta start. I gotta like do whatever you want to call it, low hanging fruit. Like wherever I can make an impact tomorrow is where I'm gonna go. Yeah. Um, and so, but this program is just one of the most beautiful programs I like I've ever seen. You know, once a fellow, always a fellow. I would sell my soul to this program because they focus on actual diversity and inclusion, and not just the title or the the percentage right. or the quotas, and then. They, they bring together all these beautiful minds um, to ideate and prototype and test and, and um, just to, to make lives better for the students on campus, staff, faculty, their community. Many of these fellows, after they leave college, like, they continue to make a huge impact wherever they're living, wherever they are. It's not just like, okay, I'm going to throw a couple events at school. Like, right. Don't get me wrong, I've been in those organizations at school where you, you host events and you know that's still impactful, yeah. but this program is like, let's tackle these systematic issues of hi- in higher education and outside of higher education to fucking do epic shit in everything we do, starting with love. Um, and so... One of the main pillars of that program is design thinking. And design thinking is a methodology used to tackle wicked problems. Um, and so the first step of design thinking is empathy. And if you want to frame it in a business mindset, you would call it like customer discovery or user experience. But really what you're doing is you're empathizing with your customer. Um, and so, and I think a lot of businesses, especially big corporate businesses, forget that you are designing whatever your service or product is, is for whoever is buying it. So you should be empathizing with them. Um, but when you get to a certain level, when you get to a certain agency and a certain um, like monetary status, you, you a lot of people tend to shift their focus from the people to the, okay, they get you know shiny object. You're growing, you're getting money. How do I keep doing that? Mm. It's like, okay, well, why'd you start it in the first place? Like, right. Let's go back to that. You can't lose mm-hmm. sight of your values. And the thing is, is like, do what you love and what fucking matters and the money will follow. Mm. You know, we have this scarcity mindset of like, um, you know, I need to do this to make X amount of dollars and I need to check these boxes and I need to reach this by a certain amount of time. 
And it's like, you're just setting barriers for yourself. These are not goals. These are barriers. Um, and when you remove those barriers, things just are attracted to you. Um, and so that's why, like, do what you care about. And the, the money, the whatever you need will follow. Because life is abundant. And as much as, like, as much as life can be difficult, um, there is abundance. Mm -hmm. And so, and I'm privileged enough to see that. Um, and that's a whole different discussion of like equal opportunity versus equal outcome. And that's a whole nother tangent, yeah. which I'll touch on in a second. Sure. Um, but so I did start my consulting company using design thinking. It's called Empathy First. And um, I just, for the past two years, I've been facilitating design thinking workshops with students, staff, and faculty, and during Startup Milwaukee to either take them through like problems or projects that they're working on, or just to teach them this methodology because the steps, um, and the way it is, it's very like, you know, sky's the limit, shoot for the moon. Um, because we, especially in corporate, like you're always putting yourself in a box. And you're always like, oh, yeah. well, they're not gonna, who's gonna buy that? Or it's who very routine that? based. Yeah, it's, it's very bit, traditional. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's so hard to come up with good ideas. But then you see companies like Apple and Google and Facebook and whatnot. It's because these companies are testing, they're pushing the limits and they're testing and they're trying new things. Of course, they are in a monetary um, standing to be able to take these risks. But at the same time, like, you know, taking risks is what life is all about. Oh, yeah, and like, if you are going to take risks, then. If you want to stay comfortable, then you're, you're just going to live comfortably. But if you're going to take risks and get out of your comfort zone, who knows what the fuck's going to happen to you. And so, right. but yeah, so I started that company. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> Thanks. That's awesome. Um, empathy first. Mm -hmm. So you're essentially um, working with individuals, organizations, mm -hmm. like companies, what have you. Startups, yeah. Startups, yeah, to... to help them incorporate empathy into their business models and values. Mm -hmm. So incorporating empathy and then facilitating workshops to help them whatever problem or project they're working on to like have empathy at the root of it and come up with a kick-ass epic shit idea. Dope. Instead of let's all just stare at each other, write down an idea and then pick the first one. Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like something like that should never be like, you know, it... It should never come out of, like, the feeling of urgency. It should only be organic. Um, but so it sounds like you, you, you're also kind of helping with through doing that. You're also helping people. You're, you're helping them main, like retain a lot of like what they may have set, like initially set out to do with like helping people or making the world a better place, empowering their communities, like enriching, you know, the, um, you know, products or services that they provide for people. Like, it sounds like you are helping them, like, not lose sight of that mm -hmm. corporatized, like, capitalist enterprise where, you know, it becomes just like a competitive, like, you know, numbers game and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, that they're still putting, like, the people first. They're still putting like we started doing this because we wanted to help people, and we can't let money 
and competition, you know, mm-hmm. like, make us, like, exploitative. And we live in this competitive world, which... Th- this is when it's inherently it. exploitative, for sure. Yeah, but I don't. I don't plan on being competitive. I don't plan right. on like. And that's another thing that's, who knows how long that'll take to unpack and to, and to right. fix. But like, um, we, I, I want to make. I want to help people make money and not be competitive while doing it, which is hard because you always say it's a competitive market. It's a competitive field. You know, these are our competitors. All this fucking bullshit mm. of, like, why are you focusing on... Like, learn from what others are doing. That's totally cool. But why are you measuring your metrics against theirs? You're even... Like, who the fuck cares? Like, we live in a world where you either play to win and beat the other person, or you play to not lose. But I want to live in a world where, you, where it's a win-win. Um, yeah. because people are just, um, and I learned this, I was in this pro- training program and we played this game and it, you were like split into two teams and then it was like your next move, oh, you made a move and the other team made a move and then you shared what the move was and then you like tallied up your points based on each move, but you didn't know who was doing what. And so the whole time you're like, well, I don't want to make this move because what if they do that? And you're like, well, if I do that, like, they'll make these points. And if they do this, like, I'm not going to win. And then at the so we were fighting for, like, an hour and a half. And then the coaches were like, all right, everybody get together. And they're like, nobody during that entire hour and a half thought about going to ask the other team what they were doing and communicating with each other. And nobody thought that you could both win. Everybody was just playing to win, or it came to a stalemate where you're just playing to not lose. Yeah. And why did, if you just communicate together, you both could win. Yeah, right. Why can't we collab? Mm. It's like collaboration's a thing, you know? Mm. Totally. Um, so what are uh, some goals you have uh, this year besides finishing school? Mm-hmm. Um, I got a new job as a program manager for the diversity, equity, and inclusion team for real industry. Um, and they're focusing on minorities, uh, underrepresented minorities, people of color, LGBTQ. Um, and we're developing a mentorship program to help with the transition from college to industry. And so as we're working on this, I would also like to figure out how we can um, help students before they even get to college. And not saying that, like we talked about before, college is not like the end-all, be-all. Um, but if they are going to pursue college, like let's make it worth their time and let's make sure they get a job out of college. Um, because it's just, um, it's just crazy. Like people say like, well, everybody has an equal chance and an equal opportunity, but like Bullshit. they don't. Like, you know, opportunity it's not there for everybody. It's not, it's hidden behind masks and it's hidden behind red tape and, right. and that's where the social equity, contracts. That's yeah. where the equity comes in. Equity from, versus uh, equality too. There's, right. a, there's a fat ass difference oh, that yeah. people need to... And people need to start differentiating between the two. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it goes, because like, like, I think people should, like, while college isn't for everybody, people should, still should like embellish their college experiences and you know like the 
our, our government, our system should be investing in, you know, affordable higher education so that folks that do like want a college experience or do want like a line of work that, um, especially like, yeah, yeah. Like values. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Um, like it, at the end of the day, it just has to be way more accessible. And that's where the, the, what we were talking about earlier, the classes comes Mm -hmm. in. And accessible is not just in terms of money, but like, like I went to, um, I would say like a mid middle class, like out town high school, you know, they, they said they helped us enough to take the ACT and like understand how to apply for college. So I got that. But then there are students who, if, how do you expect somebody to go to class if they don't even have a home to go to? You expect these kids to get up, come to class, and focus when they don't even have a bed to sleep on, or they don't even have breakfast. Like how, you can't call that equal opportunity. That's not. They're already, you're, you're 10 steps ahead, I'm 10 steps ahead, I'm set up for success, and they're literally set up for failure. Right. And this is what the entire, and, and not even higher education, it starts in kindergarten. It starts whenever the fuck education starts. Because it's very traditional and biased, and um, we have these expectations, and expectations are the death of happiness. It's, it's ridiculous, because we expect you to, like, oh, like, it's not that hard, like, just show up. Showing up is the hardest fucking part. Mm-hmm. These kids, like, who have to commute, who, if you miss the bus, that's another 40 minutes, or whatever, or, there's a statistic right. of, like, 60% of the reason that employees don't show up to work is because they don't have transportation. Mm-hmm. Like, and everything costs money, so you, you can't, there's no equal opportunity in the world, not yet. But that's a. I there's just so many tangents. Don't even get me started. Lots on, of like, uh, cans of words. Oh um, yeah, it's. All, I mean, it's all intertwined. Definitely. Um, yeah. I mean, we're doing our best, but we can do better. Oh yeah, it, exactly. We can always be doing better, to varying degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, great. Well, I'm glad you're doing the work that you're doing. Um, you have a wonderful approach. You have a big heart. Trying. Yeah, yes. Despite, despite um, you know, the the system that we that makes everything seem futile. But I think that if we come together and collaborate on ideas, you know, then results and gradual change do occur. And going off of that, <clears throat> the one thing I did really want to touch on is, well, to be able to collaborate, you have to have compassion for others. Yeah. And we say this word empathy, and we call ourselves empaths. I, I call myself an empath. I've called myself one too. But it's not just about having empathy for others, but you need to have empathy for yourself as well. Because you, if you don't have empathy for yourself, you're not going to learn and you're not going to grow. Um, because otherwise, it's just you constantly being your biggest, your own biggest critic, and you're constantly putting yourself down when really you are just you're. You are a student of life, and you're doing your best. And so, when you have empathy for others, just like don't forget to empathize with yourself too. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, like it goes back to you know, like beating yourself up for not knowing this, you know, at this time, or not having this, not having acquired this skill set that others may have. Like 
yeah, like there's it's room for growth, like by all means, and like, and that and that also goes with like you know having empathy for yourself will allow yourself to empathize with others more easily. You know, like not not defining others by their flaws and and to work to see the good in people. Um, or the or the trauma, right? Like, or the healing, like you don't see the good in people by seeing that they're also a student of life. Yeah, right. And that, you know, nobody, even the people that do the most horrific things, they've probably had some fuck shit done to them that has led them to where they are now. And so, radical empathy, I would say, is like being able to have compassion for the people that, like, you would never, like serial killers. I'm not saying they're good. But I'm saying, like, they've been through I under- too. Where it's like, I, I understand what made him so fucked up and, like, why, like, what may have, like, his rationale or something. I mean, a good example is the recent shooting that occurred at the Miller Coors mm-hmm. Brewery. Like, um, you know, like, this man, like, yeah, like, this guy, like, you know, he took a gun and he killed six people, including himself. But he was the target of racism and discrimination for years. Like, apparently, like, they were like, uh, someone left a noose in his locker. He's an older African-American man, you know? And that's disgusting, you know? And that's where the radical empathy does come in. Where, like, we have to have that conversation that, like, yeah, what that guy did was really fucked up. Like, he killed people. Like, that's never the fucking answer and he like and you know like I feel bad for like you know the victims and their families and everything but like he was a victim too yeah he was a victim too and he snapped he snapped oh yeah so yeah like you have to like we have to look at what is causing people to act and behave and perceive things the way that they do, you know? Mm. And taking that into account with, like, you know, why is this person different than me? Why does this person support this? There's only so much you can do. You can't tell people to change and you can't say, like, okay, you're doing this, well, here's XYZ, fix it. Because... They are on their own path of healing. So no matter if you wrote it clear as day and shoved it in their face, if they're not ready to read it, they're not going to read it. So you, as a human being yourself, as a way of being, just just show up how you show up in the world, and people will follow. Mm. You know, exactly. you don't need to promote, or you don't need to like dictate. You just need to you need to live the way that you feel is best. The beautiful, empathetic, um, passionate, open human being you are, and people will see that and they'll learn on their own time. Love it. Spot on. I read it. All right, Tara. Uh, Hi. We had a wonderful conversation about radical empathy, mm-hmm. about uh, college, about the system, right? About. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, fallacies of equal opportunity and shit like that. Uh, it's good to do this. I'm glad we got to. Um, so, uh, Tara, tell me, as we close out, what keeps you up at night? Uh, not doing enough. 
right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, trying to pencil in those last minute things late at night. Uh, what puts you to sleep? Um, just having a good night with friends and like being around people I love. And being high, right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's okay. I mean, you know, I like to drink my hams at yeah. night, right? Thanks for show. Thank you. You're great. Empathy first. You have a website? I have an Instagram. Instagram. Okay. I'll follow my personal Insta. I would love to meet you. Yes. <laughs> right. Hit her up. Um, yes, so approach everything you do with empathy, radical empathy. Um, and don't forget to loot. And keep... You know, always, like, uh, keep those values that you set out with when you started something, entrepreneurial, professional, personal even. Uh, you know, retain those and don't let money and competition stray you away. Thank you for watching, Mr. Nice Guy. We'll see you next time.